Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. And this passage covers a vision of Joshua. So, read with me. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at the right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant to the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Morning, everyone. My name's Micah. If you are new, there's probably lots of names, so I'm just going to not speak while I do this. Um, my name's Mike. I usually look after the kids' ministry at our church. Uh, today I get the privilege of preaching from, if you are new, this very kind of strange part of the Old Testament called Zechariah chapter 3. So we've been working through that. Now, just to kick us off, I actually want to talk about clothes for a moment. Clothes or clothing. Now, I want to ask you guys the question um, how important are clothes to you? How important are clothes? For some of us, you know, clothes, they're like a fashion statement. So they're an opportunity to, uh, for us to express our style, the sort of the colors that we like, the brands that we like to show that we love. But for other people, clothes are more functional. So they keep us warm, stop us from getting arrested, that sort of thing. And, uh, now today, um, as we witnessed Kesh and Arya being baptized, I suspect that if Kesh and Arya take after Jaru, then they're going to be very stylish, fashionable individuals. And I suspect if they take after Krish, then perhaps function will be more of a priority than fashion. Is that fair, Krish? It's very good enough from that. It's fascinating that um, the first item of clothing in the Bible story is actually not fashion or function particularly. The first item of clothing in the Bible story is actually a cover for shame and for guilt. So if you remember the story of Adam and Eve, after they sin against God and eat from the tree, what do they do? They have this feeble attempt at making sort of loincloths to cover up the fact that they're, they're guilty and shameful before God. And 
that's what all of us do. We sort of we're all burdened by this guilt of sin before the holy God, and we try to pretend like we're not sinful. We try to make ourselves look like we're not as sinful as we actually are. We try to cover up and deal with our sin ourselves. Now, today's passage in Zechariah chapter three is so important because it's going to use that language of clothing to help us deal with sin properly, to lift that burden of guilt which all of us share. So I'm even going to pray for us that God helps us to understand how we can deal with that guilt the way that God intends. So would you join me as we pray again? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us, some people here who are, for whom church is not familiar, but also for us who have been attending church for some time. We pray for wisdom that you may help us to understand how we may lift and deal with this burden of sin and guilt. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you've just joined us at church, um, we're looking through this um, book of Zechariah, and it's a picture of life after God's people, Israel, have been in exile for 70 years. And Zechariah has these visions of things being restored. So the last few weeks we've seen the temple being restored. We've seen God's city being restored. And today we're going to see this picture of the high priesthood being restored. Now just to bring everyone on board, the reason why this vision is so important is because the high priest was basically the single most important person of the people of Israel. Because the high priest was the only person who could actually step foot into the most holy place of the temple, sacrifice the sins, and bring people back in relationship with God. So you can kind of imagine that a vision like this would, would provide so much hope and so much joy. If you're an Israelite, you're thinking, finally, I can have my sin finally dealt with again and lifted. I don't have to carry it around anymore. But you'll notice there almost immediately that the vision presents a problem. So I want you guys, if you've got a Bible in your hand, to come with me to Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Do you see the problem is that Joshua stands there in his courtroom scene, but what is he wearing? He's wearing filthy clothes. He's wearing filthy clothes. And the, the priest's clothes had to be completely pure and clean for him to approach God, but he had to stand with filthy garments. Now, that word filthy is a little bit more, actually a lot more, than if you go to a dinner party and you're wearing a white T-shirt and you spill spaghetti on your shirt. The word filthy is actually a word which relates to things like excrement and poo, and vomit. So it would be more like if you were turning up to a dinner party, but just before you came, you rolled around in poo, vomited on yourself, you got your bin juice, chopped it over your head, 
completely disgusting, inappropriate, you would just wouldn't do that. And it's not acceptable. And that's Joshua. That's Joshua, the high priest of all people, is completely filthy to not approach the holy and the perfect God. And Satan's loving it, isn't he? He's standing there with a smile on his face because Joshua can't atone for his sin and the sins of the people. My friends, that picture of filthy garments is actually a symbol of not just Joshua's sin, not just Israel's sin, but actually our sin and filth before God as well. You and I are filthy, disgusting, unacceptable to stand in the presence of God. Now, I know nowadays it's not popular to call people bad, let alone filthy and disgusting. And that's because we often compare ourselves to one another, isn't it? So in, in kids' church sometimes, uh, we, we have this activity where we get the kids to plot themselves about how good they think they are. And on one end, we put Hitler down this end, and the other end, we put the Queen. We used to put Mother Teresa, but they don't know who she is anymore. And where do most of the kids put themselves, do you think? Somewhere in the middle. Well, not bad, it's Hitler, but probably not as good as the Queen. There's always one kid I think they're better than the Queen, though. and then... But when that happens, you just you just stare at them for a while and then you're back. But actually, the Bible says that's not the important comparison between each other. The important comparison is between God and us. And as we stand in the presence, as we put ourselves next to the holy, the perfect, and the righteous God, do you know what we look like? We look like filth, disgust completely unworthy to stand next to this perfect and holy God. And that's the problem. See the problem, don't you? Joshua cannot stand before God, let alone the people of God. So how does that problem get fixed? How do you fix that problem of Joshua being unacceptable to stand before God? Now, I think the answer in the passage is quite striking because I want you to notice as we read the next little section just how dominant clothing again is in the solution to Joshua's sin. So come with me. Verse 4. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from me. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I'll clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by, and the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I'll give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Did you notice? Did you notice what the solution was? It wasn't that simply God said, okay, your sin is gone. What did you notice? He said, your filthy garments are removed, pure garments are placed upon you, a turban is placed on his head. Clothing seems to be this dominant picture in the restoration of Joshua. Why is that? Why is clothing 
so important to understand Joshua's restoration. The answer, I think, is because this image of clothes is actually the key thing to understand how it is that God properly deals with our sin. Properly deals with our sin. If you glance through the passage, how much does Joshua say in this passage? Zero. How much does he actually do? Nothing. He's actually unable to do anything about his own unworthiness and unacceptability in and of himself. He has to wait for God to actually come from outside of him to take off his filthy garments, put on pure clothes, and it's only then that God looks upon Joshua and says, yes, you are acceptable to me. There's nothing that Joshua can do. And friends, this is the same for us as we think about the Lord Jesus and as he clothes us in his perfect righteousness. Because you and I, we cannot deal with this burden of our sin. Some people I know, we try to pretend that we're probably not as bad as we are. Some of us try to say, well, you know, like, um, I'm not as bad as that person. But the whole point of this passage is that there's nothing inside each and every one of us that could possibly make us righteous, acceptable before God. Next to Him, we are but filthy rags. And it's only when we realize that and we put our faith in Christ that God then puts pure clothes onto each and every one of us. If we trust in the Lord Jesus, then what God sees when he looks at us is not our filth and not our sin, but he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. And this is so important because when I was first a Christian back in 2005, I used to think that when I said, yes, I will trust in Jesus, that I somehow magically became righteous from my inner being. That I would somehow be acceptable to God because I was made righteous all of a sudden. But that's not what happens when God clothes us in Jesus. It's not that we are acceptable from our inside, it's that Jesus' righteousness is put onto us. Nothing you do now, nothing you do in the future will be the reason for you to be worthy before God, apart from being clothed with His Son. Friends, I have a, just before we get to the back end of the passage, I just want to pause there and I have a confession. And that confession is that as I've been preaching to you, I actually feel a little bit uncomfortable with what's just happened in Zechariah 3. And I'll tell you why. Don't take this statement out of context. But I feel a little bit bad for Satan. I feel a little bit bad for Satan. And the reason is because, when you think about it, um, Joshua is filthy. Satan is there accusing Joshua. And you know what? He's actually got a good case for himself. Joshua is unworthy. But what happens next is that God just seems to sort of take his filth away, gives him a pure clothes, and it's as if the sin just kind of doesn't matter. Now, I'm not a lawyer. But I feel like that's not good, like, lawyer stuff, you know what I mean? 
So what's going on here? And this is why I think, that's why I think um, the vision next mentions something confusing but really important, and that is this sign to come, which is called the branch. Okay? So I want you to come with me first page. And this is the bit in the passage, if you haven't fallen asleep already, this is the bit where you've got to concentrate pretty hard. There's going to be some references coming around. Verse 8, Zechariah chapter 3. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. Okay. So the logic of the passage has been Joshua stands there filthy, unacceptable before God. God takes his filthy off, filthy clothes off, puts pure clothes on him, and then all of a sudden says, okay, you and your friends, who I think are the priests, this whole priesthood thing is a sign of someone to come. And just to make things even more confusing, he says, this person to come is called my servant, the branch. What's going on here? All right. Just to give you a really quick picture, the branch is an image used particularly in the big prophets. So the big boys, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, speak about the branch. But in particular, the branch is of the line of David. And the branch is someone who's going to come as a kingly ruler. He's going to rule with righteousness and justice. Sort of like um, if you've ever cut down a tree and you see new sprouts, new shoots, it's going to come after the exile. And the branch is going to rule. This wonderful, righteous king ruler. Here in Zechariah 3, do you notice that the branch, though, is not so much about a kingly ruler. What is this branch going to do? This branch is going to be involved with taking away the sin of the land in a single day. Okay. So the big boys talk about the branch being the king. Zechariah 3 talks about the branch taking away the sin of the land. What's going on here? I think what Zechariah adds to our understanding of the branch is that the branch, someone will come, not just as a kingly ruler, but also as a priest who will remove the sins of his people in a single moment. And if you've been around church for a long time, I suspect you know who that might be. But let me tell you about this um, passage from Hebrews chapter 10. Have a listen. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 12 speaks about Jesus in this way. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, priest language, he sat down at the right hand of God until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. King language. So in the person of Christ, the branch, the ultimate branch, you have someone who will rule forever and rule with justice. And you have a king or a priest who will also remove sin by sacrificing himself for all time. So I don't actually feel bad for Satan, because this is not sin being swept under the carpet. This is not God ignoring sin. 
the priesthood actually points to a time where this ultimate branch would actually take upon the sacrifice himself, he would actually take the punishment for sin upon himself in order to remove sin of the entire land of Israel. And friends, can you imagine that? The Lord Jesus Christ himself, he doesn't just sweep our sin out of the carpet. He takes our sin. He takes our filthy clothes, puts it on himself, and gives us his perfect righteous clothes. What a God, what a King would do that. Now coming back to Zechariah, just to finish off the vision, you'll notice that in verse 9, the priest's clothing is completed as he gets this stone placed upon, what I think is placed upon his turban, which I think is a reference to Exodus 28. There's a metal plate that goes onto the turban. And it's this picture of the priesthood being finally restored. So he gets pure clothes, he gets the turban, he gets the stone put on the turban. There's an inscription on the turban. If you go back to Exodus 28, the inscription on the stone there is holy to the Lord. So what you get is this restoration of the priesthood. And as God promises to remove the sin of the land in a single day, it is at that point that he declares the whole land, those who will find forgiveness in him, to be holy to him. Now for the ten of you who want to know what the seven eyes are, I feel like 60% confident to tell you this, but I think what the seven eyes on the stone are, are kind of God's, not just kind of God's um, that he sees throughout the whole earth, but particularly in the context here, I think the seven eyes show us that God not only sees, but he knows who he has chosen for himself. He knows who those who will be removed from their guilt and have pure blessings on them. Well, friends, that's Zechariah chapter 3. How important are clothes to you then? I hope you've been able to see that in Zechariah chapter 3, clothing is so important because it helps us to understand how to deal with the guilt and the weight of sin, that burden of sin which all of us carry. There is no hope like Adam and Eve trying to feebly cover our guilt before God. The only hope we have to stand before God on Judgment Day is to say, look at me, the clothes of your perfect son, Jesus. Through the perfect son of your, of your son, Jesus. So friends, question number one, have you clothed yourself with Christ's righteousness? Do you still carry the burden of sin yourself? Do you try to pretend like you're not as bad as other people? Galatians chapter 3 says, put on Christ by faith Put your burden of sin onto him, and God promises that when he sees you, he will see the perfect righteousness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, this, this passage asks us, who are you listening to as well? Are you listening to Satan's voice accusing you? 
or are you actually listening to the verdict that God has already said? So how much does Satan actually have dialogue in this passage? The answer is no. But so often, you and I, we just give Satan more of a voice than he actually has. Well, you've committed that same sin again. I thought you said you were a Christian. Oh, um, you know, church, that's more for people who have their sin mostly under control. Why don't you take a break from church, sort yourself out, and then maybe you'll be more acceptable when you go back to church. Satan's such a good accuser, is he? But he's just not worth listening to. Because God the judge has already declared the verdict. If you have put your faith and you have placed your burden of your sin onto Jesus, then the judge of all things says you are now clean. How you feel about that doesn't change the verdict. So stop listening to Satan's accusations and start listening to the judge who has declared the verdict of righteous through the Son. Shall we pray together? Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you've shown us our sin today, that we know that whether we hide it well or not, we cannot bear the burden of our guilt before you. But Father, we thank you that in Jesus you offer to clothe us with your Son's perfect righteousness so that what will make us acceptable to you is his clothes and his perfections. Father, we pray that for those of us who have not come to clothe ourselves in Christ, would you have mercy upon us, that you would lift that burden that we've been trying to bear, that we would take on the yoke of Christ, the easy yoke of the Lord Jesus. When Satan whispers to us and accuses us, Father, that we are not worthy, would you remind us of your burden, Lord, that we may not be wrapped with guilt, to be burdened with uncertainty, but have assurance through your Son of Christ. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.